Welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast, where our goal is to engage and inform our audience from investors to asset managers and portfolio managers to sustainability leaders and those involved in ESG and sustainable finance. This is Kisashreen. The growing interest in ESG and sustainable finance is creating a bit of confusion few challenges. For example, how do you use ESG data to make sustainable and profitable decisions? And is it enough to rely on off-the-shelf rating services? To shed light on this topic with us today is Andrew Cave, Head of Governance and Sustainability at Bailey Gifford, a UK-based asset management company with 324 billion US dollars assets under management. So, Andrew, what exactly leads to the limitations of ESG ratings? We talked about a bit of the confusion that people um, are talking about right now. How has the rating system changed over the last few years? And what do you see really leading to this limitation that people are talking about around ESG ratings? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me along to speak to you today. So uh, ESG ratings are, are, are very high interest to lots of people right now. Uh, and there's, there's a number of reasons for that. The ESG industry is booming as more and more asset managers and asset owners and indeed ordinary investors get interested in long term sustainable investing and looking at a whole range of factors which might lead to performance issues over the long term or, or new opportunities for, for different companies. So there's a, there's a good reason why ratings services are, are very much in demand. And the thing about rating services for ESG is it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a very new industry. It's, it's really quite nascent. It's been around about 15, 20 years in earnest, but has ramped up massively in the last couple of years as more and more assets have come to be managed according to ESG criteria. And I think the, the, the first thing to say about ratings is it, it, you know, how you use them really depends on what kind of investor you are, what kind of asset manager, what kind of capacity you have. So they are used in lots of different ways, but the, the, the core idea is that you can take a company and look at a range of different environmental, social governance issues and stakeholder relations and reporting, and you can come up with a, a, a system to, to score them in terms of their overall performance on, on ESG. And that those scores are then used to uh, inform asset allocation decisions uh, by portfolio managers. So, so, so that's the construct. And you know they can also be used in a, in a more sort of passive way where the scores automatically lead to uh, different decisions around asset allocation. So, so there's a there's a good reason, as I say, why why ratings are much uh, in the spotlight just now. I think the other thing I would say about ratings is uh, they they can only give you part of the answer. They inevitably rely on public disclosure of of you know principally backward looking information, mostly taken from annual reports and company disclosures. So so they're a sort of snapshot in time, and and they tend to focus on risks and and sort of things that might go wrong with companies and, and sort of, you know, exposures rather than thinking about what might go right and opportunities. So, so that's a sort of very quick introduction to ratings. So very good to note that really interesting, a snapshot in time and sounds like only one tool among many that um, responsible investors should use. And I'd love to get your thought on what exactly should responsible investors focus on if we're looking at these ratings as one tool in a broader toolbox what should they be focusing on to make these investment decisions so for example is it all about risks should they be looking at long-term growth potential what is that bigger picture that these smaller components um, such as ratings are made of and should they should base their decisions on 
Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I, I think for us, I mean, we're, we're, a, we're a very long-term active manager. So we, we carefully select a small number of holdings and put them into quite concentrated portfolios and then try and act as a sort of good owner of those companies for, for a number of years. So for us, we're really looking at everything we can about those companies. It's a, it's a very holistic way of investing. We try and understand as much detail and as much color about those companies as we possibly can before we buy in. And then we try and augment that once we've taken an ownership position through our engagement and our ongoing research on those companies to, to sort of build this sort of really comprehensive picture of these businesses. And we do very much try and focus on what might go right. We look at the opportunities that they're creating and we look at the societal needs these companies are addressing and then think about if if if, if everything works for this company and, and the management team delivered on, on, on their promise, uh, how will that benefit stakeholders, but also how will it benefit our underlying clients as investors? So it's, it's, it, I think it has to be holistic. If you just look at risks, you're, you're just looking at, you know, at best. I mean, I, I use the analogy of sports teams. It's a, it's a bit like, if you just look at risks, it's a bit like rating a football team just based on its track record of giving away penalties and not on its goal scoring record. And, you know, we, we as an investor are very interested in goal scoring and, and how, in, you know, interesting, innovative companies can transform entire sectors and indeed improve society. So taking looking at it from that perspective of the perspective of we are taking a holistic view and also we're looking at these various components um, to your point to, to get to that goal. How should investors look at and approach sustainable companies that are in sectors that are not considered very, very sustainable? I've been, um, you know, when I look at YouTube, I've been seeing a lot of shell advertisements around their sustainable, you know, opportunities and things of that nature. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really interesting. This this oil company is talking about their response to um, sustainability. And that's an industry or sector that we may not necessarily always think of as being sustainable. So what is your thought about approaching sustainable companies that are in sectors that aren't considered or historically haven't been considered very sustainable? Yeah, thanks. It's a great question. Yeah, so I think the, the first thing to say is the, the 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 sustainability challenge and the sort of low carbon transition that, that is part of that applies to all sectors. So, you know, what we, we need improvements right across the economy. And that very much includes the sort of big industrial sectors with traditionally larger impacts. I would say for us as an asset manager, we're more drawn to the more disruptive newer companies with with uh, innovative disruptive technology so you know tesla is a classic holding for us but also a range of other tech companies and biotech stocks and um, communications companies like zoom who are bringing people together in a very different way in a low carbon way and and those kind of business models are very attractive to our style of long-term growth investing but I, I would say that there's a there's a an ongoing debate within responsible investment and it's a worthy debate about you know, the different types of responsible investing that are required, because it's not just a case of having ultra clean funds of, you know, highly ethical, low carbon companies. There is a need to for responsible investing to address some of the big impact sectors. So I, I think, for example, there's a very important case for responsible investment funds to continue to hold the very best mining companies. Mining is absolutely central to all sorts of other enabling sectors and technologies. So if you think about the low carbon transition and, and the need for batteries and battery storage and, and electric vehicles, we very much need mined products. So there's a, there's a it's very important to have 
very responsibly run mining companies. And that's the sort of sector where we would actually encourage seeing sector leaders emerge with uh, sort of data to back up that story. So, so I think responsible investing is, is a whole spectrum of approaches. There's, there's no single right way. And actually, we're going to need lots of different approaches to, to sort of move the economy forward to a more sustainable fitting. So continuing with that mining example, I love it. How would you, Andrew, um, recommend that an investor gauge that ongoing process? So we talked about snapshot looking at a moment in time versus continual review. Is it a function of continuously engaging with your ESG ratings? What, what is it that we should, that investors should continue to do to ensure that they get a full picture of how a company is evolving and becoming, as you say, um, a better steward no matter what industry or sector they're in? So I think the first thing to probably talk about is data. So there is there is a, a great need for better, more consistent data across companies. And I, I, I'm actually a, a former chief sustainability officer from from the corporate side. So I was I was you know involved in corporate disclosure and reporting for for many years. And when I started out in that journey, getting on for 20 years ago, the data was was completely you know bespoke to each company. Each company had its own idea about what data it thought was important with respect to sustainability and it's taken years to get some convergence across those indicators and and that that's a really important process because it gives comparability and comparability drives up standards across sectors so so there is definitely a need for for good comparative data but i think the the, the step beyond that is once you've got data you have to really think about uh, you know how a company can achieve an ambition so we really look for companies that have visionary leadership that can you know see a very different way of a sector or company working or a very different product and then they can map out a pathway to get to that product and then execute against that and that's the kind of vision you're starting to see come through things like impact reporting which is more holistic and more forward looking and and has a very clear sense of what what a company's impact is but also what its impact could be if it's able to deliver on its technological promise. So it is a much more complicated thing than just a, a sort of backward look at, you know, environmental footprint for a business. When you when you think about impact, you go right up and down the value chain and you think about use of product by other parties. So even when those carbon emissions aren't owned by you as a company, it's 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 the product being used by the consumer. The most responsible companies think completely about uh, that end-to-end -end value chain and, and all the different ecological footprint across it so so that's the sort of leadership we're looking for and you know you, you can only really get a sense of that i think from engaging directly with companies and speaking directly to management teams to get a sense of that ambition so it's so much broader than just the the industry and historically what we've seen and thought about the industry it really has to do with the type of leadership in many cases. And so you mentioned visionary leadership is something that you look for in in your work, in your article. We need to talk about ESG ratings. You say that companies are often ranked less on their actual performance and impact and more on the exam technique. Well, they present themselves to the outside world and whether they are ticking the right reporting boxes. And I'm wondering about that in context of the conversation that we just had about leadership. Could you speak more about um, how companies are actually ranked, whether it is perception versus the actual doing? 
Sure. Well, there's a big challenge here for ratings agencies and, and indeed anyone looking externally at companies and trying to ascertain how well they're doing on an issue. And you're forced to look at the, the public disclosure and see what's on their websites and what's in their reports. And what, what, you, what you do find is you tend to find that bigger, more mature corporations that have been around the block more tend to have quite polished reporting and they tend to have the right policies in place on their websites and, uh, you know, a, a sort of centralized team overseeing their approach to sustainability and a whole range of other sort of attributes which, which all sort of signal that the company is taking an issue seriously but i think what we've found in practice is that that doesn't necessarily count for much i mean some of the biggest scandals we've seen in esg in the last decade have been from companies that were seen as leaders in their sector and had very sophisticated reporting and policies and the policies alone tell you little about the culture and that's where you have to sort of look a bit deeper and you, you know you get that from engaging directly with management teams or you can get some of it but you look at all the other signals and clues about a company you look at uh you know customer testimonials on youtube or you look at glassdoor uh, employee scoring and you look at all the different signals about what does the culture tell you in practice because i think that's probably much more important to properly sustainable outcomes in terms of business so yeah i, I think it's a it's an it's a it's a challenge built in to the model for for rating services that they're sort of somewhat reliant on publicly disclosed uh, benchmarkable data, but it's 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 there's no there's no I don't see a way around it in the short term. Other than I think for investors that have the capacity and are serious, you have to just do your own work and try and look much deeper than than just what's publicly available. And does one pillar present more? substantial challenges than the others. We have the E and the S and the G, so the environmental aspect, um, the social aspect, as well as the governance aspect. And right now, you know, at this stage, all of them are ultra important. Do you think that one right now are in the future as we head into 2021, that one will be um, have a lot more impact or even present more of a challenge than the others? ESG is such an unusual, uh, imperfect construct. It's a sort of you know three pillars of actually overlapping concepts because environmental is also about human too. But you know when when climate change undermines your ability to make a living, it's very much a social impact. And governance has a bearing on environmental and social performance and behaviours. It's governance is actually key. So you, you would make a case for putting governance at the top, and then the ENS in ESG is sort of sub parts of that so so it's it's a it's a very uh, imperfect construct but i think when you look at the different pillars um e you're getting convergence on environmental issues so you're beginning to get a consensus emerging across key economies and indeed across companies and and society about where we need to head on different ecological impacts so a dramatic reduction in carbon over the next couple of decades is is really beyond doubt across most economies now. It's much less so for S when you when you think about um, S issues like labor rights and human rights, uh, use of data and responsible AI and algorithms. There's very little consensus even within societies. So I wrote a piece earlier this year called the S and ESG is difficult because there's no single right answer and the views are very culturally relative and, and vary across different stakeholders and, 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 and in time. So I think what we, what we think about technology now is very different from what we maybe thought even 15 years ago. So uh, S is very fluid and I would say governance, governance is, there's, there is more alignment, but 
you get some very different views on good governance. Governance, I should say, is not an end in itself. It's much more about uh, the, the way to get good outcomes uh, with respect to running a business. And it's about, a, you know, a culture of, of, of appropriate oversight and stakeholder relations and, and lots of other things. So we have probably got a nuanced view on governance, which is different from many asset managers. We, we tend to be more favorable to certain governance quirks and, and sort of less, I suppose, dogmatic on on exactly how you run a company. There's no, there's no single right way for us. We're much more interested in, uh, you know, teams of management that we can trust and, uh, and a, a way of aligning with strategic investors or management that is long-term and value creating. So that's a long way of saying that there, there's there's actually no easy uh, rules across the ESG. You are getting some more convergence, but radically different views within that. So. All, all that's a way of saying that it's very difficult to turn those pillars into numbers and then to aggregate those numbers and to come up with something meaningful and scientific and useful. We just don't think he can do, which is why we have a much more bottom up approach to to understanding companies and looking at them holistically rather than trying to reduce things down to a, a sort of single or, or maybe three data points. And, and let's talk about finally um, that approach specifically in terms of Bailey Gifford's ESG investing philosophy. How does the firm balance between portfolio and maximizing returns for investors with ESG principles? Are there certain sectors and industries that Bailey Gifford does not invest in? Is there a reason behind that? So we, we have many different funds and we have the full spectrum of funds available to our clients from ethically restricted models through to uh, you know, uh, Paris aligned models that we now have available. We also have uh, a large number of different funds which are unconstrained, but which have a difference of regional or, you know, it's a regional or sectoral bias or, uh, you know, different kinds of offerings of, you know, which are of interest right across the market. What I would say though, the interesting thing is, although we do have ethically restricted funds, there's been significant convergence between those funds and our mainstream funds in recent years. And that's really coming out of our style of investing and where we see growth coming from the global economy over the next couple of decades. So even in the absence of any restrictive policy, a lot of our funds have steadily reduced their holdings in sectors like defense or tobacco, where we have almost no holdings whatsoever anymore, uh, down to a sort of tiny percentage. Or indeed, even oil and gas production, where we we just don't see those growth opportunities coming in the, in, the, in the coming decades. So, it's it's a it's a really interesting picture that certainly within our business, all of our funds are tracking towards more sustainable investing, whether they're badged as sustainable investment funds or not. The direction of travel is very clear. And I would add to that from a Refinitiv perspective, Refinitiv's proprietary ESG scoring methodology focuses on a transparent and yet objective assessment of disclosed company ESG data. And as we talked about a little earlier, their approach enables companies to dis, um, disclose data, use disclosed data to drive scoring and more disclosures around common metrics in a given industry that lead to confidence in the data. So confidence um, by those who use it to really make the right decisions. So. Andrew, really appreciate that tremendous information about this being a new industry, but really understanding that things are wrapping up and how we use ratings depends on our role. We look at a range of stakeholder issues um, and ratings are a key part of that. But 
just a part and that there is a holistic picture to be had as it relates to investing. Your thoughts about needing more consistent data as well as the importance of visionary leadership and leaders who can see sectors in a different way that can really help us see beyond traditionally the way we've seen a specific sector, but to really see um, what the sector can do to become more sustainable. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitiv Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.